Welcome to church. It's good to be with you this morning. Well, my name's Jeremiah, as Joe mentioned this morning, and my wife Sarah and I, we're the pastors out at a QE2 campus. So it really is a great honor to be out with you uh, and sharing the word with you today. It's actually, it's been a while. I think it was end of last year that I was here. So if I was to ask you, how have the last six, seven months been for you? Silence, okay. Well, if I was to ask you, you know, what stories would you tell? When I, you know, after the service today, when I'm going to go come up to you and say, how are you? How have you been? What stories will you tell me? How have the last seven months been? If I gave you a moment now just to reflect on this last season and come up with the stories that you might tell me, what would you tell me about? Would you, mean, would you tell me about your family? Maybe about your work? Would you tell me about the church? Would you tell me about the faithfulness of God? Would you tell me about God's goodness to you? Would you tell me about how the Holy Spirit's been working in and through you? Would you tell me of the hope that you have in Him? See, I think we should look back sometimes. Look back and see what the Lord has done in us, what the Lord has been doing, what God and the Holy Spirit have been doing in me and through me. Look back and tell stories of the faithfulness and the goodness of God. But why should we look back? Just because? No, we look back so that we can walk forwards with confidence. We can look back at God's faithfulness, which gives us faith to keep living on mission as we walk forward. We look back at God's goodness so we can keep walking forward in faith in the mission that he's calling us to. Great hope that we carry. We look back so that we can keep walking forward on mission with God. Live on mission with confidence. Confidence in his faithfulness. Confidence in his love. Confidence in his grace. Confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But maybe you've looked back over the last few months, even just as I've been speaking now, and you're going, I don't know if I could tell those stories. The last few months, the last few years, maybe they've been difficult. They've been hard. Maybe the season you find yourself in right now, you're going, I just, I'm struggling to find God in my daily grind. I encourage you to look back just a little bit further. Look back just a little bit more. I don't know if I can see it. Look back just a little bit more. Hey, and if you have to look all the way back to the empty cross, to the empty tomb, and to the risen Savior, what a great place to start to walk forward from. Confidence in the gospel of Jesus, the risen Savior. If you can't look back in your your life in the last few months and go, I can tell of the goodness of God, just look back a little further and look back. And if you have to start at the cross, if you have to start with a risen Jesus, what a great place to walk forward from because that is a story we all can share in. It's an invite, a story, an invite to all of humanity, to every one of us. What Jesus did, it's for all people, for every one. We know that our sins are forgiven. We now have free access to God. 
not through religious ceremony, but through what Jesus did on the cross for you and for me. Would we tell perhaps that story? Now we get to live in total freedom, which is to live in Christ, to carry something of purpose that we believe that other people need to know. In Luke chapter 15, 11 to 31, Jesus tells a story that many of you will know very well. It's about a son who's, who, who decides one day that actually his life would be better off or better lived without his father. Not his father's way, but his way. And so he decides to walk away from all that he has. He says to his dad, I need all my inheritance. I'm going to go. I'm going to leave you because I think I can do this better on my own. It's a story that Jesus told his followers to illustrate the great love that the father has for all of us, regardless of the choices that we make in life. So the son packs up all his belongings, half of his father's belongings, and he walks away. And he leaves a heartbroken father. He also leaves a brother who's watched his younger brother be a little bit rude to his dad. And so was probably like, well, see you later. And the son goes off and lives what he thinks is a great life. He lives a life that the world's voices have told him will bring him great success, bring him great happiness. If others said that it was a good thing, he's like, sign me up. If others were there at the party doing things that perhaps they shouldn't, he went, yep, I'll have a go at that. The friends that seemed popular, he hung out with. Parties where the best of the world gathered. He definitely posted about on his Instagram. But after a while, all the good things that the world had offered him, all the things that society had said, these are the important things for success and happiness, began to feel empty. The admiration and the adulation of others slowly faded away, and soon he realized that he had been sold a counterfeit. The praise of people and the popular things of the world fell away and he was left with nothing. Not only was he left with nothing, but then a great recession hit the land and there wasn't enough, let alone for everyone else, but definitely not for him. So he went and found himself a job. Good on him, he went and found a job feeding pigs. And he takes the scraps to the pigs and he empties it over the fence and he hears the slop as it lands in the pigsty. Now, we had pigs growing up, and that was one of our jobs, and it was gross. He became so hungry, so desperate, that he looked at the slop in the pigsty and went, maybe, maybe that will fill my puku. Maybe that'll satisfy the cravings that I have. Can't believe how, how down on his luck he must have felt to consider that edible. I think we could safely say that he'd hit rock bottom. Perhaps today you can identify with this son. Maybe for the first time, and maybe it's actually a little surprising. Maybe you've not hit the complete rock bottom where you're looking at the scraps, but that feeling of being sold a counterfeit, of looking at what the world's offered you and going, it doesn't satisfy the craving I have. Feeling alone and separated from your family. 
Or maybe you're not quite there yet, but as you look ahead in life, you can see the warning signs. And I'm wondering, have you got the order right in your life? There's good news in the story, though. Jesus kept telling it. The story's not over. Eventually, the son decides that he's going back to his father. He'd be better off there. Then we skip to the father. The father stood out on his porch. He sat watching, waiting, thinking about his son, desperate for his son to come home. And the Bible tells us that while the father was out on his porch looking out to the horizon, while he was still a long way off, the father sees him. The father sees his son. So what does he do? Send out the guards to stop him at the fence and say, come back no more, you've been rude. No, he does something completely opposite. He stands up from his porch and he runs to his son. It's something an old man should definitely not have done at the time. He was breaking all kinds of social rules when he stood up and he ran out to his son. So desperate was he to be restored in relationship with him. So often we focus on the son's response. I'm not worthy. Who am I? But I want for a moment to picture the father's response. What if we were in his position? Maybe you have stories of loved ones, of family members, of people who've walked away from you, who've hurt you, who've been rude to you at work perhaps, and thought they were better off without what it is that you carry. See, it's the father's response is the pattern for how we are to respond. Desperate for them to come home. Desperate for them to know hope. Desperate for faith to rise in them again. How much time do you spend looking out for those that are lost? The father stood on his porch and he looked out for his lost son. How much time do you spend considering where those who are lost in your lives are? Do you spend looking down the end of the hallway in your house going, when will my son or daughter come back to faith? Or at work, do you look across the workroom and go, I'm desperate for those people, my colleagues, to know about Jesus. Desperate to go after every one, the ones who don't yet know Jesus. We're a church who doesn't just do mission, we're a church on mission, which means we Go, even as Dave was speaking about two weeks ago, as we go, as we take the message, as we've looked back, as Joe's preached on last week, on the faithfulness of God, we can keep moving forward in confidence on the mission that Christ has us on. Have you ever been so desperate to get somewhere that you've broken a few social no-nos in order to get it done? Have you broken a few social conventions? Those things that we... Just accept other things you have to do to complete something. Because you realize that actually the greater need is a higher priority than that small thing. Like, I don't know if you've ever woken up after your alarm, late for something, and so maybe you've, you've skipped your shower in the morning. Or you'll know if you've got a mask on, you'll know this true, if you've uh, skipped brushing your teeth because I just had to get out of the house. I just had to get to the kids to school on time. I just had to get to work on time. And we skip these social conventions, these acceptable things that we know we should do. But we skip them because we know, or we break those rules because we know that the other thing is of greater 
importance. How desperate are you for people to know Jesus? Late to an appointment. To not arrive late to church, as I'm sure many of you were desperate to not be late this morning. Perhaps in your car, you push the speed limit just a little bit. Oh, don't worry, you justify it. Oh, my speedometer's probably out by like 4K, it's fine. <laughs> now, I'm not endorsing breaking the speed limit or breaking these rules. But we're prepared to do it for the sake of being late. And if we're prepared to do it for the sake of not being late, how much more are we prepared to do for the cause of Christ? When we look back to the empty tomb and the risen Savior, how much more are we desperate for people to know about that? What social rules are we prepared to break? To be desperate for Jesus. Will we break the rules of what others might think about me? My position or standing in the room? Will we break the rules of, oh, this is just my job in the organization? Will we break the rules of, oh, I don't know enough? Will that stop us from being desperate for people to know Jesus? Desiring people to come and sit at the table. Because when the father saw the son, he came out and he prepared a great feast, a great banquet. It was at the table that restoration happened. He put a ring on his finger, a cloak on him, sat him, and he prepared a great meal. Come and celebrate with me. My son was lost, but now he is found. How desperate are we to invite people to the table of restoration? Craig Rochelle, a pastor in the United States, says this, that they will do anything short of sin to reach people who don't yet know Christ. It's a big statement. The thing is, we go into all places. It might not just be on the porch at home. It might not just be in the workplace, but we go everywhere. Mark 5.19 says, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Luke 14.21 says, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the towns and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Luke 14.23 says, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Matthew 28.19 says, go and make disciples of all nations. What is it saying? Go everywhere that all people might know. Tell everyone. Invite everyone to the banquet table where they can feast on hope, on grace, joy, freedom, peace that there is the person of Jesus. You need to understand, and I'm sure you know this, that when we talk about people who don't yet know Jesus, we're not talking just about nameless, faceless people. We're talking about your brother or sister or your son or your daughter. We're talking about your best mate at work. We're talking about the goalkeeper in your football team. Whoever it is, these are people that we know and love. They're your flatmates, our uni friends. And everyone needs to know of the hope of God. In Mark 2, 1 to 12, we find another story of a paralyzed man. And he has some friends who know about Jesus and know where Jesus is. 
And so they decide that it's really important that their paralyzed friend meets Jesus. So they put him in a stretcher, they pick him up, and they go to the house where they know Jesus is. And when they get there, the house is full. There is no room for anyone else. So the friends give up and go home. No, that's not the story. Because the friends knew it was so important that their paralyzed friend met Jesus. So what they did is they climbed up on the roof of the house. Remember, this guy's in a stretcher. I can imagine the guy being like, I'm not so sure. How about we come back another day when the house is less full? Do you really want to carry me up on top of there? And the mate's like, you have no idea you have to meet Jesus. So they climb up on top of the house. This is where I'd say they broke a few rules. They ripped open the roof. Not their house, (laughs) someone else's house. Ripped open the roof, down through the ceiling, a big enough hole to lower the man, and they lowered him down into the room, and all of a sudden this paralyzed man is face to face with Jesus. Just a few verses earlier, they told us that the room was full. But there's always room for one more. What social conventions or rules are we prepared to break for the cause of Christ? There's room for one more. Ben, could I invite you to come join me back on stage again? And as the man was lowered through the roof to Jesus, the Bible tells us that Jesus saw the faith of the man's friends and and he forgave his sins and healed the man that day. His friends were desperate on his behalf. Our role as Christ followers isn't to fill up the church. It's to bring people to Jesus, to introduce them to the person of hope, to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then as a result, I believe that there is a desperation in people to then gather as the church because that is so important. But your job isn't to convince someone to come and join us on a Sunday. Maybe that is the next step in that person's faith journey. But it could just be, have you heard about Jesus? Do you need hope today? Can I pray for you? Scary questions, eh? Our role is to take people to Jesus because it's all about Him. That is the right order. And perhaps you maybe don't always have all the words and you're like, oh, I just wish I could give them something that would help explain it. Well, lucky for you, we have the pathway book. And at the back of the room, you can pick one up. It's our gift from us to you that you can either keep or you can give away to someone else who's maybe on that faith journey. And explains a little bit more about our faith in a really easy to understand way. Maybe you could put it on the coffee table at work or in the staff office at school. I know some people wrote their name in the back and said, if you're ever interested in faith, just give me a call. Small acts of desperation for people to know Jesus. Because every one needs to know about him. Would you stand with me if you're able this morning?
You know, one of the amazing things that happened when Jesus ascended back to heaven was he sent the Holy Spirit. The person of the Holy Spirit walks with us daily. And the Bible says that when we gather together, there he is also. And so I believe even as we've worshipped this morning, as we've heard the word this morning, perhaps Holy Spirit has been speaking to you. Maybe as I talk about the ones and the twos, those who you've who you know who don't yet know Jesus, maybe their, their names have been popping into your mind. You've been going, oh, maybe this person. I wonder if maybe that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you, bringing those names to mind that perhaps this week or when you see them next, you could have a conversation of faith. It might not be a voice that you're totally familiar with, but I challenge you to trust it. mentioned earlier in the story, the story of the prodigal son. And perhaps, again, as I've spoken, the Holy Spirit's, something on the deep, in the deep parts of you has resonated with that prodigal son, that one who walked away. And maybe for the first time you've gone, I, I, I've never identified with him before, but just where you are, and maybe it's not his circumstances, but you just go, I need to be restored. I need to come back to right relationship with God. I need to spend time in His presence. Come and sit at the table of restoration. And that's an invite of God, the invite of the Father to come and sit and experience His mercy and His grace because His arms are open wide for you. We don't come with guilt or shame for whatever choices we've made, but we come back to Him who is so full of love for you, so desperate for you to come home. So Lord, we pray for those people this morning. If that's you, maybe you just lift your arms as everyone's got their heads bowed and their eyes closed. God, we ask your Holy Spirit to pour out your love and your grace upon them. May they experience a touch of your Holy Spirit, a feeling of restoration back to you. God, would you be with them this week as they walk, as they talk, as they work, as they love on their families? Would your Holy Spirit wrap their arm, His arms around them? That they are welcome again to the seat at the table of restoration. Amen. Well, maybe this morning, you've heard me speak of the desperation of people to know Jesus. And as I've been preparing this, I want to do something. I want to invite you. I don't know how often you do it out here. It's maybe not something we do all the time, but I'm going to invite you to come and stand at the front or stand in the aisles or wherever you are, but in response to say, God, I'm desperate for people to know about your son. I need a refiring. I need something on the inside of me to come awake again. We're going to sing a song called I'm Available. God, I am available. Just come out and ask the Holy Spirit, burn inside me again a desire, a passion for people to know Jesus, that I might be desperate. I might be standing on the porch looking for those who are lost, those who don't yet have hope in Jesus. God, would you re-burn that desire inside me? 
Now, there's nothing holy about the aisles, nothing special about standing at the front, but it's simply an action to say to your body, I'm all in on this. God, I'm desperate. I'm prepared to lay aside the what others will think of me. The social conventions of I just stand in my seat and I worship there. I'm going to move out because I'm desperate for people to know Jesus. I don't care what others think about me. I don't mind what's going on around me, but Holy Spirit, would you burn inside me? So as we sing, I invite you to respond in whatever way you can. Holy Spirit, burn within us a desire, a desperation for those that don't yet know the hope of salvation. Amen.